Welcome to the Grow Your Business and Grow Your Wealth podcast with Gary Helt. Gary is an expert in helping business owners put together a plan that will provide a better future for their businesses, themselves, and their families. On the podcast, Gary interviews other professionals who share his vision, and together they share secrets and strategies any business owner can use to build a better financial foundation for your business and your life. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, my guest is Jeremy Britton, who's the CFO of Boston Trading. Welcome, Jeremy. Thanks for having me, Gary. So, Jeremy, what made you decide to, to kind of get into the finance field? Um, I think, you know, I, I grew up one of six children um, on one income. And there was a lot of things that we didn't have. And there's a lot of things that I wanted to have. And so obviously, you know, as, as soon as I was able to, I wanted to start working. Like I, I started babysitting the neighbor's kids when I was 13 or 14. When I was 14 and a half, I started flipping burgers at McDonald's. And there's always something else to do. And like I could get into little part-time sales jobs and things like that. And you make more money in sales than you do flipping burgers. And it's right. easier work because you're not sweating over a grill. And someone said to me when I was, I was actually in the library back in the olden days before the internet, I was in the library and I was, I was like picking up sales books and things like this. And there was a guy there who was doing another th similar thing. And I was probably, I don't know, 18, 19. And he was probably about 40 or 50. So he looked old and experienced to me. And he said, I don't know what you're selling, but if you want to get into selling something that you can make billions in, get into finance. I said, what do you mean? And he said, look, sooner or later, someone will buy two or three cars, they'll have enough cars. They'll buy five or six houses, they'll have enough houses. But if you're looking after their money, they can never have enough money. Every millionaire wants to be a billionaire. Every billionaire wants to be a center billionaire. And I was like, hmm, okay. And I could have the same client for years and years and years. And that sort of appealed to me too, rather than just selling something to someone and then they disappear and you never see them again, you gotta go and find another customer. So I started to look into it. And um, yeah, I, I, I accidentally fell into financial planning while I was trying out for a Hollywood movie role. So oh. it's an interesting story. That, that, that story that, that I can still see that guy in the, in the little aisle of the library that always stuck with me. Like that's the ultimate thing to sell is something that people can never have enough of. That, that's, I mean, that's pretty good advice, especially at, at that age. Mm. So you know, so, so you got into to doing the, the financial planning and things like that. How did, how did that part of your career start out? Well, it's, it's interesting. I mean, again, like I, I grew up sort of, you know, I, I'm, my mom says I'm not allowed to say we grew up poor. So let's just say we grew up middle class, you know, six, six kids, one income, you do the math. Right. Um, and, and one thing I really liked was comics. And I'm a big fan of the Phantom comics because he doesn't have any magical powers. You know, the Phantom's kind of like Batman. He's just like, just one guy right. who can do his thing. And um, I had heard a rumor, this was way back before the Batman movies and things like this, that someone was actually planning on making a Phantom movie. And um, I heard about this guy, I got in touch with this guy and um, he just said, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan. I want to make this movie. And you know, I've, I've got some ideas about turning a comic book into a movie, which has never been done before at that stage, except for the Superman movies right. in the 70s. And so I started chatting with this guy. 
again, before the internet, we were actually sending letters to each other. And I just knew that he was a fan. He was a few years older than me. And we shared the love of comics and he had a similar sense of humor to me. And we became like pen pals and lasted for maybe two, three years that we, we actually chatted. And to me, he was just a fun guy. He was an older guy. He had some ideas. And when I, when I sort of got down to, to, talking, to um, talking to him about making the movie, and he said, like, Paramount's rejected it. Warner Brothers has rejected it. They've said no one's going to go and see a movie about a comic book, you know, particularly it's not Superman. It's a, it's a hero that a lot of people haven't heard of. Um, and so he said, I'm just going to make it myself. I went, what do you mean? He said, well, come and see me. You know, I'm hiring a scriptwriter. I'm putting in the money myself. And like at that stage, I was 19 or 20 at university. I was working out every day. So I was, you know, big and buff and fit and young and could, I was unstoppable. Right. And he actually put down $30 million to start off the budget of his movie to get the, the scriptwriter to start the pre-screening. He said, I'm going to cast you in the role because um, you're my friend and I can do that because I'm a producer. And no one's ever heard of you, which will create a bit of a buzz because no one's ever heard of you before. You haven't been in any other movies. And then he said, I'll, I'll surround you with all these other stars that'll bring in people, but then there'll be a bit of buzz around who's this young guy. And I didn't realize that he actually had money. Like I didn't realize he was a guy who could whack $30 million down on the table. Right. I just thought he was a normal guy, like the guy who's, you know, the, the butcher or the greengrocer or, right. or whatever down the corner who, who owned his business. And as it turned out, by the time he started spending the money and getting the scriptwriter and getting all this stuff up, um, Warner Brothers and I think it was Paramount actually came around and said, we didn't realize you were serious. We thought you were just messing around. Um, now that you've sort of started and, and halfway through, we want to get involved. However, we have some conditions. And one of the conditions is get rid of Jeremy <laughs> and put in Billy Zane because Billy Zane was a known actor at the time. Right. And I was obviously upset that I got booted out of my, you know, my passion project with my friend. And um, he said, look, really sorry, but, you know, love you to death. Come and work for me in my business. It just happens to be financial planning. And went, okay, cool. And we'd, we'd formed a relationship and he knew I was tenacious as he was. He just kept pursuing this passion project. So he said, you pursue your clients like that, pursue your business like that, never, ever give up. You'll do well. So yeah, I dropped out of university, started my first financial planning business when I was 19 under his tutelage. And um, yeah, started another six or seven financial planning businesses over the next 20 odd years. And Never got to be a Hollywood actor, but it's probably a good thing. Yeah, you may be doing better now than uh, than if you if you kept doing the acting. That's for sure. Yeah, I got more hair than Billy Zane. So. <laughs> <laughs> True. So the clients that you're dealing with over the years and doing your financial planning and stuff like that, what um, what were some of the biggest fears that they had? And how do you help them overcome these fears? I, most, most people have the fear and it's, it's mostly unspoken fears because um, they don't want to talk about things. Most clients don't want to admit the level of, the level of knowledge that they have or don't have. Mm -hmm. Most people, they've, they've heard of the stock market. But they don't understand how it works. They just know on the news that they talk about when it goes down and like $800 billion was wiped off the market and our oh, stock market's really scary. Like 
you've got to understand that when that $800 billion is wiped off, it's not wiped off. It doesn't disappear. Right. It just moves from there to somewhere else. So if you've got stocks and you've got bonds and you've got property and you've got something else, then you're okay. And clients also have the fear. And again, it's, it's one that we don't like to talk about, but what happens if I die mm -hmm. before I get to retirement age and, and you know, leave a debt for my family and the, the bank takes the house? Or what happens, even worst case scenario, what happens if I don't die? What happens if I live to be 93, 97, 106 years old right. and I don't have enough money to take care of myself in those later years because I might need more medical attention or just the fact that I only worked for 40 or 50 years and I've got to live for more than 50 years without that, without that money? So there's, there's sort of these unspoken things that we really have to address. Um, and even, even just getting sick, you know, you, not necessarily someone dies before they, finish, before they finish working or retiring. It's like, what if you get sick and you have to take six months off work? Right. Know, who's going to take care of you? How's, how's the bills going to get paid? That sort of stuff. So there's a few sort of basic things that people don't like to talk about that you need to address. And then ongoing education is just one of those things. Um, and yeah, you, know, you don't expect all your clients to become an expert. You don't expect them to become qualified. Good luck to them if they do. Right. Um, but give them a basic understanding so they can actually understand why you do what you do. Like I know how to mow my own lawn. I know how to change my own oil in my engine in my car. I just don't want to. Right. So, but if, if I was stuck in an emergency and I had to because my mechanic was hit by a truck or whatever, I could do it. And if I hire someone to do it. I'll be able to tell when they're doing it wrong or if they're overcharging me or whatever. So if my clients have a basic understanding of why I do what I do, then they can keep me honest, number one. Right. And they can also provide suggestions. And my clients come to me all the time and say, hey, have you heard about this stock? Have you heard about this company? And such and such has just invented this new process of you know, putting, putting glass on the phone cover, but the glass has the prescription from your glasses. So you can take your glasses off and you can still read your phone. I'm like, hey, I've never heard of it. That's really great. You know, yeah that's pretty uh, cool educating the clients and they they will then educate you right what i mean what are you know some of the mistakes that you see that that these clients are making so <laughs> <laughs> and I, I guess i'm talking about crypto as well as stocks yeah um obviously you know bonds are one of those things like you know where they come from you know what they're backed by um, but oftentimes a client will come in and they say, oh, you know, my brother-in-law's just started a winery and he wants me to invest money into this winery. And I'm like, um, sure. What does your brother-in-law do? Oh, he's got a winery. Yeah, but what did he do before that? Oh, he was a school teacher or he was an astrophysicist or whatever. Like, right. He doesn't know anything about wine. You know, he's just be become redundant in his job. He's been given a big amount of money and now he's going to go and follow his passion project. But if he doesn't know anything about what he's doing, that business is going to fail. And there's clients who come in and go, oh, so-and-so's just discovered a big lithium deposit or a big gold deposit. I want to invest in this mining stock. Like, okay, but you're investing after the news has come out. The price has already taken off. Mm -hmm. And if they dig this thing up and there's not much underneath it, then the stock is going to go down very rapidly. So a lot of people, because they're, they're watching the news, they're watching the social media, traditional media, and they're picking up these things a lot of times after the event. And we really want to get in before the event. Right. So wouldn't you have liked to know that, you know, just when Nokia was the number one phone company in the world, wouldn't you have loved to know that Apple's going to come out with something that's just going to completely oh, yeah. bury everybody else? Right. You know? 
So trying to get the, the inside information and, and funnily enough, um, a lot of it is actually available. It's just not where you think it is. Gotcha. So, you know, you, you mentioned cryptocurrency. How do you see that now currently playing into someone's portfolio? Well, most of, most of the advisors, like I think the US is, is a bit ahead of Australia as far as adoption. Um, India is way, way ahead of both countries. Uh, I think one in three people in India have a crypto wallet. Um, but realistically, you know, from, from my point of view, crypto, when I first looked at it, it's like crypto is an unregulated stock market. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when 9-11 when happened and airline stocks and travel stocks dropped by 20 or 30%, they closed the markets and said, okay, no trading for four days till everybody grieves, everybody go home, relax, take a few breaths and then come back. Um, so we don't panic the market and we don't oversell. And similarly, when, when we're feeling enthusiastic and that the, um, you know, the tech stocks were going up in the, in the late 90s, you know, and if a stock went up 30, 40, 50%, the market could just say, hang on, stop. We're going to stop trading on that one and come back again tomorrow. But crypto is just running unregulated 24-7. You know, there's, there's no end to the trading day. There's no end to the people who can just say whatever they like. We've just discovered a new thing. We're going to, all going to go to Mars and dig up gold and be billionaires or whatever. People can lie through their teeth and there's no one to stop it. So in crypto, you've got to be really, really careful. Uh, Cointelegraph said that 92.5% of crypto projects are scams. Wow. And it becomes, how do you spot the scams? Right. And then how do you invest for value? Whereas traditional stock market, you'd assume by the time someone lists on the stock market that the due diligence has been done. You know, they've been investigated by several different government agencies. Um, so you know they're a legitimate company. And then you've just got to find the value ones from the bad ones. Crypto, it's, it's a bit more difficult. Um, and that's why we, we actually teach some processes around both stock selection and also crypto selection to make sure that people don't get burned. Yeah. So you say, you know, again, you know, that the stocks and the bonds and things like that, that's already kind of that are, that are being traded in, in the market. Those have kind of already been vetted and, and there's, you know, some, some backing behind it that we know of. Now, with the crypto, how, how are you able to find out if crypto, uh, the currencies that you're trying to get are scams versus the real deal? We, we have a four-step process, which I, I, out of time I won't go into here, but it's a very, very simple four-step process. We actually have been using that for six years uh, with our Boston coin portfolio. We've never lost money to a scam in six years. Okay. Um, touch wood, yeah, but I think we've got right. the process down pat. And it, it's, it's very, very simple. I mean, the step, step one is checking out founders, the CEO, CFO, whoever. And a lot of these things like squid, squid coin, squid game coin, shibby coin, and that sort of stuff, the founders are anonymous. So it's, you know, two young 17-year-old kids in their mum's garage who make up this thing. And they don't want to have their lives ruined. Like, they're not right. going to tell you who they are because they're going to rip you off and they don't want you to come chasing them. So if you've got an anonymous founder, that's a huge red flag. Okay. You know, imagine if they didn't tell you who the CEO was of, of Tesla or Apple or, or right. whatever. Um, so checking those guys out, looking them up, because oftentimes they've got this beautiful page, they've got a beautiful smiling CEO and the secretary and whatever there, but those are just Google images. They're not real people. So if you take the time, I know you take 60 seconds to click through on the link or highlight the name and just right click and search them on Google, you'll find a LinkedIn profile. And you know, 
is this Bill Smith actually on LinkedIn and does it match his photo? And is he working for the company that it says he is actually working for on the website? Like that process takes 60 seconds. Okay. And that'll help you avoid at least 25% of the scams. Like in, in my first book, I, I laid out a nine-step protocol for choosing the best stocks. Um, and with, with crypto, we've, we've cut that down to only four steps. Because, I mean, you can't really look at a new project. You can't look at their revenue. Sometimes you can't even look at their project and things like that because some cryptos provide a service, like a, a, a transfer service. Like Bitcoin is basically gold that you can email from one country to another. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's no real product apart from the Bitcoin that you can email from one person to another. So it doesn't have all the steps of the stock selection, but there's a, there's a simple process. And as I say, you know, we, we've avoided 100% of the scams and people that we've taught this methodology to, you know, at least you can avoid 90% of the scams and you can buy some good value. And if, you know, if you lose 100% of the money that you put into XYZ project, but you've got four, five, six other projects that have gone up 200%, 300%, you know, up to 10,000%, 13,000% that we've made on some of our investments, then that, that evens out. And that's, that's sort of par for the course with crypto. It's high risk, high return. And you know, for, every, for everyone that's going to return 20,000%, you're going to find one that loses 100% of your money. And this is why it's important to diversify in crypto as well as you do in stocks. Right. Now, having an advisor like you um, or someone like you, how how can I, if I'm looking, you know, for a new advisor and I want to, besides the, the stocks and bonds and stuff, I do want to get into the crypto. How how can I find out if you know? Do you really know about crypto? Because I think sometimes people are going to say that they do when they really don't. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of them and. Unfortunately, they have a huge advertising budget mm. um, and they're usually very loud and yelling and getting excited. So this is the coins you've got to buy by midnight tonight to make you a billionaire and you'll have a private jet. They're all over YouTube. Um, but then you look back at their history and say, what was this person doing two years ago? You know, were they living in their mum's basement flipping burgers? Nothing wrong with that. I mean, I used to do that. Sure. But would I now, as a, as a bloke who's 50 years old, would I take the advice of a 19-year-old who has... 12 months you know, experience in the industry. Hell no. When I first started in financial planning, I was allowed to advise people who had 30 to 50,000. And if I did it wrong, the company would go, okay, well, he's lost that little old lady's money, but we've just got to pay her back 30 to 50,000. That's okay. We can do that. And then the next year, I was able to advise people with 100,000. And a few years later down the track, I was able to advise people with millions of dollars, but only after I'd been doing the job for five years very well. Right. So, you know, you got to look at what these what these people have experience in, and some of them are just you know charlatans, and they're they're advising you to go and buy some coin that they've already got, um, which is why they're what we call shilling it or promoting it. Right. Um, they want it to go up ten thousand percent because all their YouTube video watchers are going to go out and buy it, and then they're just going to do a runner. So I'd look at you know, nobody has. 10 or 20 years experience in crypto because Bitcoin only came out 13 years ago. Right. And, you know, Ethereum only came out like six or seven years ago. But if they've got a strong background in stock analysis, you know, accounting or something like that, then maybe you could actually translate that experience and also look at what they've been doing. I mean, we've, we've been running Boston Coin for six years now. And in those six years, we've averaged 350% per year for six years in a row. 
we've actually outperformed Bitcoin for the last three years in a row. Wow. And that's because we do our homework, we diversify, and you know, we, we actually have stocks in the portfolio of our, of our crypto. Um, so one, one of my big things you know, from, from day dot when I was doing stocks and shares is invest where you spend. And anybody who's watching this has got a pen in their hand, write that shit down. Invest where you spend. That will save you millions. So you think about before the pandemic, we we're all doing our thing. When the pandemic hit, people started traveling less. Mm -hmm. So you were spending less money on airline travel. You're spending less money on rental cars. All right. Obviously, if you're not paying money to those companies, those companies are going to do poorly. So mm -hmm. if you sold airline stocks and you sold Hertz rental cars at the start of the pandemic, you would have avoided losing millions right. when Hertz went broke and the airlines went down. People started working from home. So now you have to pay, you know, $4 a month or whatever it is for a Zoom subscription. And you go, okay, if I'm paying money to the company, obviously I trust them. Otherwise I wouldn't pay them. Same as I pay money to my car insurer or my bank or my whoever. Right. So if I'm starting to pay money to Zoom rather than going into the office, Zoom stock's going to do well. And if you'd sold Hertz and bought Zoom at the start of the pandemic, <laughs> you would have made oh, yeah. more than a thousand percent and avoided losing a hundred percent. So this is this is a philosophy. I, I, I first wrote about it in 2006 in my book, and it has stayed with us through you know plane crashes and pandemics and global financial crisis. If you're giving money to a company every month on your food, your fuel, your whatever you spend on, invest where you spend. And the same thing, this is how we first got started into crypto is, you know, we've got staff in Africa, Indonesia, um, Fiji, sort of all over the world and paying them by Western Union or by money transfer or bank transfers was expensive. And someone said to me, hey, look at Bitcoin. You can send a thousand dollars and it costs like less than 50 cents to transfer and I was like, cool, new money transfer system, kind of like right. a magic PayPal. Right. Uh, so we started buying Bitcoin just to pay our stuff. We didn't buy it as like, oh, we're going to sit on this and it's going to go up a million percent. You know, we just started using it. So people actually look at and you know, not what's the next big, big thing, but what's actually solving problems, what's providing solutions. And even to the point of some of the best tips that I've ever got in, in the stock market are from my own children. Because they come home and they say, you know, Dad, everybody at school has got a Billabong backpack. I need to have $70 so I can buy a Billabong backpack. And I'd say, really? Everyone? Every single kid at your school has a Billabong backpack. They go, oh, well, all the cool kids do. Right. <laughs> the lame kids don't. Right. Um, but it's super cool. And, like, these things come and, and go out of, out of fashion. Like Billabong's been around for 40-odd years. Mm -hmm. right? There'll be another brand that comes up and takes over. And it might go out of fashion for about 10 years, like hush puppy shoes went out of fashion for about 10 or 15 years, and then they became cool again. Right. And when the kids start telling you, this is what the cool kids are doing, you go, well, I'll look into that. And the Billabong backpack costs about $5 to make in a factory in China, and they sell it for $70. And I go, that's right. a good business model, right? 10 times right. your money or more. Right. So I can buy shares in Billabong, knowing that all the 15-year-old kids are out there buying these Billabong backpacks. And then... It's a full 12 or 18 months before the company actually releases their earnings report to the market. So I'm in, the, I'm in that stock a year before anybody actually knows that they're about to make a huge profit. Right. So follow the money. Invest where you spend. It's, it's the yeah, best advice I've ever received and I've ever given to anyone. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I think that that's, you know, uh, I, I was going to ask you what some of the best advice you've ever been given, but that sounds like pretty good advice right there. Um, 
and I'm definitely going to going to keep that for myself too. Um, that's that's a great idea. Um, I guess what are what are some of the the challenges that you're facing right now? Bloody Facebook, if I can say that. I, I think you're going to edit out some of bleep out some of the words that I use, but that's that's just Australians, you know. Right. Very mild swear words here. I, I don't want to even tell you what we call our best friends, um, but. Facebook has been a big challenge because they banned crypto advertising like right from the start, you know, right. 2016, 2017. And there was rumors circulating they were going to release their own crypto, which is why they were banning everybody else trying to control the market. And then, of course, you know, 12 or 18 months later, they're like, oh, we've got this Libra project and nobody liked it. Um, and they lost millions on that. And now we're going to change its name to Diem. And then we're going to change the Facebook's name to Meta because as if that's going to make us forget that you're a horrible corporation who does horrible things. But for the last, you know, six, seven years for the life of, for the life of Boston Coin, uh, we haven't been able to advertise on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn. Um, I don't know what the other things are. You can't do ads on, on basically any of these social medias except for Twitter. And so it's, it's been a huge challenge because we've got a, a really wonderful project. You know, we're the first diversified mutual crypto fund in the world. Um, and obviously, you know, when Vanguard came out with their first stock mutual fund, they could advertise and go, this is revolutionary. You know, the ordinary man on the street can whack down $1,000 and have a diversified portfolio, just like the billionaires and the Rockefellers used mm -hmm. to do because they had huge amounts they could build their own portfolio. So we've got a revolutionary project. We've got a fantastic methodology. We give away the secret source so you can do it at home if you don't want us to do it for you. But we haven't been able to advertise. So it's been a big challenge. But because we couldn't be the ad, we couldn't be the commercial, we decided to become the story. And so we write a lot of press releases and go, this is what's new. This is what we've been doing. This is what's changing in the marketplace. And we submit that to websites and blog sites all over the place and so okay, people have got to find out about us. Maybe right. they'll read the news article rather than actually paying attention to the flashy ad. So, so why is it that you can't advertise? Um, because these, these guys, and you know, Facebook wasn't saying we're going to crush the market because we want everyone to buy our Facebook coin. Um, they were saying we're trying to protect people uh, because up to 90% of crypto projects were scams. And we can petition them all we like and say, look, we've been going for three years. We're definitely not a scam. You know, here's all of our details. Here's our information. You can look at the company. It's founded in Delaware and blah, blah, blah. Um, but, you know, if a business has been going for three, four, five years, it's definitely not a scam, right? right. It's there for the long haul. But they just put a blanket cramp. If you've got the word crypto, we're not going to advertise. And we go, cool. We respect that because we want to save people from scams as well. But you need to differentiate between, you know, Bitcoin's been around 13, 14 years. You know, Ethereum's right. been around seven or eight years. Boston Coin's been around for six, seven years. Like they're different to the project that just popped up last week. Right. Wow. I, th I think that, you know, there's definitely some uh, censorship there that, that isn't, isn't very fair for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've you got to differentiate. You can't just say there's no advertising at all for pillows because we don't trust the MyPillow my guy. Like you're right. crushing an entire industry to save people from one guy you don't like. Right, right. So, Jeremy, we've covered a lot of stuff, and it's like time has gone by like that. Um, what have I not asked you that not you wish I had? Yeah. <laughs> um. 
I think, I mean, I've, I've probably come across people who don't know me and haven't seen me before. I direct them to go to my YouTube channel. I've got like 400 YouTube videos because I, I sound like a bit of a capitalist because we focus more on the money and the stocks and the crypto and that sort of stuff. Um, and, and that's, I guess, where I started because, you know, I didn't have money as a kid and I wanted to have money. I wanted to have fast cars and toys and that sort of stuff. But my life really started for me after the age of 33. Um, I, I made a lot of money in my 20s and my early 20s, late 20s when I was you know, in financial planning and helped a lot of clients and got a lot of fancy toys and bought a big house and that sort of stuff. But I was spending all my time, my focus, my energy on work and money and accumulating more stuff. And when I was 33, I had a heart attack. And that's kind of young, you know, like my dad's in oh, his yeah. 80s and he hasn't had one yet. Um, so it was like a combination of stress, bad diet, because I was working long hours, you just have to have food on the go. Um, had some bad habits, obviously, and I wasn't paying attention to my health. I wasn't paying attention to my mental health. I wasn't paying attention to my relationship with my partner and my children. And you know, lying on the operating table and going, shit, I've got all this money um but my relationships kind of suck because i'm never at home i'm always working right and what's the point of all this money when i'm lying on the on the operating table and the doctor's telling me i might have another heart attack in the next six to 12 months and i might be dead if i don't change my habits so that was very transformative for me and and since then you know that was shit what 17 years ago now um I've, I've always tried to balance my life like you balance your portfolio. Right. So I meditate every day. We were talking earlier about me having sunrise meditation. Right. 1,500 consecutive days down at the beach watching the sun come up and meditating. Um, I took months and months off work and spent time with, with llamas and you know, meditators and all sorts of weird and wacky and wonderful people balancing out the left and right brain because there is this tendency to reward too much for... Yeah, you know, all the work I do, oh, I'm so busy at work, but no one's bragging about how they meditated. No one's bragging about how they spent time with their partner. No one's bragging about how much their kids look forward to them coming home. Right. And that's some of the things in our society that are really messed up. And I needed to have a heart attack at 33 for me to go, wake up, what the hell's going on? What do I really want to have as my legacy? Because I was given the warning that I'd be dead in 12 months if I didn't change my life. So right. I changed my life radically. And you know, even with all, all of our businesses ever, ever since then, and with Boston Coin and Crillionaire, we give away a lot of information. Uh, we give away a lot of money. We empower communities. Uh, we sponsor rescue dogs to retrain them as companion animals for, for people with disabilities. We help employ people with disabilities to get them into the community. Um, we've sponsored over 200,000 kids in Africa. That's have great. an entrepreneurial education to learn English because you know growing up in in a poor country if you speak the local language and you get a local education you're going to be someone's gardener or someone's mate right that's pretty well it but if you if you can teach this kid English not that English is the greatest language in the world it's just the language of the internet that most people speak teach a kid English put a $20 smartphone in their hand they can start an online business you know, they can become entrepreneurial. No matter where you live in the world, the opportunity is endless now. So this is some of the stuff that we like to give back and really sort of balance things out, contribute to the world. And also from a selfish perspective, I mean, you know, when I'm 106 and I'm, I'm having my next heart attack, 
the kid who's operating on me is probably going to be from one of these emerging nations, you know, and if they can get an education, they can learn English and they can go to medical school, that's going to help me out. And right. let's face it, every time you help people out in the community, if there's less poverty in the community, there's going to be less crime. You know, there's going to be less social unrest and that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's what we've seen. You know, we've seen the best of people in the pandemic and we've seen the worst of people. Right. And a lot of it's because they've, they've lost their purpose. They focused on only work and they couldn't go to work. Then they start to go crackerjacks temporarily. Yeah. Because they've got nothing else to do. They've got no other passions, no other hobbies, no other interests. And if their, their income has gone down, you know, most people are only this far away from, from the poverty line and they don't have a month's income saved up in case they, they get furloughed. So, you know, that's led to a great deal of social unrest. And if we can teach people how to trade stocks, if we can teach people how to trade crypto, we can teach people how to run a drop shipping business from home or something like that. You know, I've, I've had 14 startups, I think, in my life. Wow. Um, it's always possible to do something no matter what the conditions are. I started my first business during the worst recession we'd had in 20 or 30 years. And this is like now, <laughs> another right. 20, 30 years later, we're having a very bad, very bad recession. But there's always opportunity. There's huge opportunities in the marketplace. You just got to know where to look. And all you need these days is a smartphone. Whereas 20, 30 years ago, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have smartphones. Right. It was a lot more difficult. Kids today are, are spoiled <laughs> for their choice of, you know, you can literally get a $20 smartphone from the post office or the corner store and you can start trading cryptocurrency. Right. Even if you've only got five or $10 that you borrowed from your mum, if you're smart enough and you do your research, you can turn five or $10 into thousands and thousands of dollars very quickly because the crypto market never sleeps. Right, right. So Jeremy, I mean, you have, it sounds like you have a lot of great ideas and have done a lot of, uh, a lot of homework and helped a lot of people. If our listeners like what they hear, how can they, how can they reach out to you, talk to you, maybe invest with you, but if not anything, learn from you? Yeah. Um, well, as I say, we give away the secret sauce. So there's people out there who go, I don't want to deal with a fund manager. I want to do it myself. That's cool. So we, we created a not-for-profit site called Prillionaire.com. So it's crypto, C-R-Y, with the millionaire smushed together. Okay. Uh, Prillionaire.com, we give away all the information for free. We show you how we do our crypto selection. We, we have published interviews, uh, videos with CEOs of different projects. You go on there and you can get free crypto. You can earn free crypto, download wallets, and you get free stuff. So for people who want to do it themselves, Prillionaire.com. The people who say, I'm too busy with my life, I want someone else to do it for me, then they can go to bostontrading.co, um, so .co, not .com, bostontrading.co. If they join up there for the newsletter, we give a crypto newsletter every month that's educational and also give a copy of my book um, that actually shows you about the stock selection and when to buy stocks and shares and when to buy property and timing the market, a whole bunch of other things. Right. Great. That's, that's, that's a lot to be given away. That's for sure. Yeah. Education, right. You know, like right. you, you sit down with a school teacher, they're going to probably take up your entire afternoon telling you about everything under the sun. Like, I might only talk to your audience once. So I want to give as right. much value as I can. Right. I appreciate that. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you. So today our guest was Jeremy Britton, who's the CFO of Boston Trading. See you guys next week. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. 
To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs> <laughs>